Welcome to the Mormon program, where we get more out of our faith because we know it's not about what we seek, but how we seek it. This is a talk I prepared for a couple of weeks from now. I was told to keep it under 10 minutes, so it's going to be really short and sweet. Gary E. Stevenson asked in the latest conference that we brainstorm new ways of approaching our lifelong callings as member missionaries. He recommended that we consider how we can demonstrate our love, find new opportunities to share, and extend the hand of invitation to take part in worship with us as we reach across denominations and across diverse life circumstances. Elder Stevenson asked in his talk, Love, Share, Invite, How Can I Be a Missionary Without a Name Tag? This question reminds me of a heartwarming story we will all remember. In 1910, on a blustery New York day, a priest named Vincenzo di Francesca from a local Catholic parish walked down a street strewn with litter blown around in the wind. A book atop a heap in a barrel fluttered and caught the man's attention. Something told him to pick up the book and examine it. The book had no cover, and the introductory pages had been torn out, so there was no telling who wrote this book or what it was called. But as Vincenzo thumbed through the pages, he saw intriguing words he couldn't place. Alma, Mosiah, Moroni, Nephites, Lamanites. He wrapped the book up and continued with his business, and after arriving home that evening, he unwrapped the book and sat down to read. In the ensuing days, he became increasingly captivated by the book. It had suffered some deterioration in its time in the elements, so Vincenzo swabbed it with cotton and cleaned the thin pages as much as possible. He came to love the book, reading it and rereading it, and his Catholic background gave him context with which to recognize the voice of his Savior Jesus Christ emanating from the pages of this mysterious book. Vincenzo continued preaching at the local parish, but his sermons became gradually laced with the principles he had come to love from his nameless book. Thus, armed with these edifying new ideas to complement his preaching, he rose to prominence among his colleagues, and people increasingly requested him at the pulpit. It wasn't until 20 years later in 1930 that Vincenzo was able to make the connection between the book and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and that's when he was finally baptized. One has to wonder whether a devout Catholic would have rejected a book with another religion's name emblazoned across its cover. Had the cover been intact, would Vincenzo have seen the book in the barrel and simply kept on walking? Member missionaries have a unique advantage in this world— an advantage with which even our official full-time elders and sisters can't really compete. We are coverless books. We walk around shedding the light of our Savior far and wide, and people get to know us for who we are and get to feel the Savior's love we shed abroad without troublesome biases and preconceived notions to discourage drawing near to us. Like Vincenzo, who took a strange book into his home and got to know it on the basis of its own merits instead of on hearsay, Member missionaries find ourselves often in the vicinity of strangers and in the homes of acquaintances who have no idea why they feel the Spirit attending our words of encouragement, but who make the connection eventually that our light shines from a deep and abiding love of the Savior who powers our interactions. Missionary work has changed dramatically in the last decade. Can you believe it was only 10 years ago that the church launched its I'm a Mormon campaign with that slogan slung across billboards and city buses? In the intervening years, we've changed the missionary age to 18, and we've gotten back to our roots promoting the centrality of Jesus Christ in our message, rather than perpetuating the Mormon moniker many have used derogatorily toward the church. M. Russell Ballard gave a talk in 2016 about the challenges we will face as we advance into the future, 
He said it was only a generation ago that access to church history was basically limited to materials put out by our church. Now the internet offers a huge array of alternative interpretations. Missionary efforts are no longer about merely attracting our friends and acquaintances, but helping facilitate lasting conversion that will help them, quote, stay in the boat and hold on through their entire lives. To help with such deep conversion, we will need to meet our friends where they are. More than any time before, says Elder Ballard, we will need to provide historical content and context for them. Try to provide accurate interpretations of topics that can be considered controversial so they won't feel the need to search the web on their own. James 1.5 does not say if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of Google, close quote. Some of the challenging topics Elder Ballard recommends we help investigators understand include polygamy, seer stones, different accounts of the first vision, the process of translation of the Book of Mormon and the Book of Abraham, gender issues, race in the priesthood, and heavenly mother. If you don't feel you have a mastery yet over these topics, Elder Ballard recommends the Gospel Topics Essays on churchofjesuschrist.org. It is important that you know these essays like you know the back of your hand, he said. Many of my millennial peers who have taken a hiatus away from the church and from religion generally are no longer asking the question, which church? The new question on the minds of most secular people these days is simply, why church? The burden of proof falls increasingly upon the member missionaries to know what questions our friends and loved ones are asking so we can tailor our missionary message to meet their various needs. Anne Lamott said, God meets you where you are, but he doesn't leave you where he finds you. Like the earthly angels God calls upon us to be, we can leave the 99 to go find the one where they are. If we are unwilling to do the tough work of entangling ourselves in difficult conversations, then how can we meet people where they are and lift them? If lifting hearts means humbly hearing their questions, doubts, and concerns, and responding with empathy and love, then Elder Ballard is wise to instruct us not to shrink from the challenge of confronting tough questions and responding lovingly to accusations about church history that we'd perhaps rather not get into. We will lift and lighten hearts as we demonstrate a willingness to meet people where they are and work to elevate them from that place. In her talk, Lessons at the Well, Susan H. Porter likens missionary work to yeast, salt, and light. Bread is dense without yeast. It is heavy and hard, she said. But with just a touch of yeast... Bread rises and expands to become delicious, light, and soft. With 16 million members worldwide and a global population of almost 8 billion, the Latter-day Saints have no hope of overtaking the world by way of religious empire. We represent only 0.2% of the world population. But DNC 123 warned us that the gospel would be preached by the weak and the simple. DNC 50:26 calls us the last and the least. And Luke 10:42 says, The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. When seeing the future church of the Lamb of God in a vision, Nephi beheld that its numbers were few and their dominion upon the face of the earth was small. Thankfully, God never intended our influence to take over the world by way of power, might, or force. He asks us merely to be the pinch of goodness in the world, the yeast that lightens and lifts. Our reach may not be numerically impressive, but there's no accounting for the kind touch of one hand upon a person whose heart is heavy. We'll all recall the whimsical story of the boy on the beach bending to pick up the starfish and methodically, one by one, chucking them into the ocean. A man walks by and observes the long stretch of beach overwhelmed with stranded starfish from the tide that had suddenly gone out. The man watches the boy quizzically and then remarks, You'll be here forever if you intend to save all these starfish. You can't possibly make a difference. The boy acknowledges the man only for a moment before stooping to pick up another starfish and tossing it into the sea. 
I made a difference for that one, he said. I'm reminded of the encouragement from Margaret Mead. Never think a few loving people can't change the world, she said, for indeed, that's all who ever have. In his book, Restoration, God's Call to the 21st Century, Patrick Mason notes particles of light are so small they are invisible, and yet they overpower the darkness. Other ingredients are far more substantial, but it's the tiny bit of yeast that causes the dough to rise. And only a pinch of salt transforms a dish from bland to savory. It's not our calling to trade our small church for a religious empire. We are called upon to illuminate the darkness, elevate the human family, and transform the world. We will fill the world with our influence, even if we don't do it with numbers. He continues, the Spirit is breathing new life into the church. You can feel it. It's time to take the precious gifts with which God has entrusted us and use them to bless the human family. It's time to let the restoration do its work, not just for the church, but for the world. I testify that it's by small and simple means that great things are brought to pass. I bear witness that as we meet our brothers and sisters inside and outside the church, right where they are, God will impress upon our minds how best to lighten, lift, and illuminate them. I leave these thoughts with you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you enjoyed this episode, please find us on Facebook or feel free to reach out to us at mormonprogram at gmail.com. That's M-O-R-E-M-O-N program at gmail.com. 